On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. What is up, everyone? Welcome to There Can Only Be One, the podcast that makes the all-star playlist of your favorite artists. Now, our next guest, when we were initially talking about coming on to the, or having him come on to the show, uh, he was, I'm like, okay, who do you want? Who do you want to cover? Which which discography do you want to go down? And he said, Elton John. I'm like, holy crap, that's a lot of records. Let's pare it down a little bit. Uh, so we settled on the king of pop, Michael Jackson. And here to join me down that road is Alex Whistle, also known as AC Official on YouTube and on Twitch. Dude, welcome to the show. How you doing, man? I am doing fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, I see, I know how much you like Michael Jackson, but why don't you tell the audience why you suggested MJ? Uh, let me just put it like this. The room that I'm currently recording this podcast in is about 90% Michael Jackson memorabilia. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, it's a no-brainer. Now, now, I've seen you on some of those shopping trips, you know, to the, to the vinyl stores and whatnot. So, I've seen that face of yours when you find that find. And, yeah, trust me, it's, it's like Christmas in the middle of whatever month. It doesn't matter what month it is. It's like Christmas. I get it. Absolutely. Now, you also do a lot of remixes, not just of other artists, but of Michael Jackson as well. Uh, so, are you approaching this more as a fan or as someone who has gone through a lot of these tracks and really dissected them and hearing the different parts that make the song um especially with the earlier stuff i'm going in as a fan and then for the later more uh popular uh era of michael jackson i'm going in a little bit with that uh production mindset okay so th this is gonna be interesting because i'm not gonna lie there were a lot of these albums that i didn't even know existed until it was time for me to do my research like you know around off the wall i'm like okay cool we're good we're good and then i'm like wait there's how many albums before that oh crap i got some <laughs> i got some music i gotta catch up on here but let's go through the rules of what you're going to deal with here we are going through 12 studio albums of the michael jackson discography uh we are ignoring live albums and greatest hits remixes and compilation cds and no soundtrack scenes how he was not the he at no point in time was he the sole artist on a soundtrack we're also not touching any of the jackson five albums we are only dealing with michael jackson's solo career now i did mention that we're not touching compilations we are covering one sort of for the history past present and future album we're ignoring disc one because that's just a best of but disc yeah. two was an entire collection of new material. So when we get to that point, we are only covering disc two because that's where the new stuff is. But we have to go back to the beginning. 
We need to start with January 24th, 1972 and the release of Got to Be There. The album is certified gold in the U.S. It peaked at number 14 on the Billboard charts and number three on the Billboard R&B charts. There were four singles off of this one, Rockin' Robin being the highest charting of it, hitting number two in the U.S. Now, I am, I'll admit, right, I, I know the singles. I know the singles. So my, my, the depth of my Michael Jackson knowledge isn't exactly as wide as it should be. So I'm going to let Alex do a lot of driving the bus on this one here. But I will say I went with In Our Small Ways off of this album. But Alex, what did you go with? Um, I had a toss up between two songs on this album as being my favorite. Um, Want to be where you are and girl, don't take your love from me or don't take your love away. Um, just based off of like production alone. Um, these are two of the strongest uh, songs that are there that are, are original because rock and Robin being such a smash hit is a cover. Mm hmm. And, and it's not the only cover off of this album, too. No. When it comes to Michael's early career, especially when he was under Motown, a lot of the songs on there ended up being covers. I mean, that that's kind of like the, the way it goes. You know, you're getting your solo career started. You do a lot of the standards until, you know, you, you, you build up, I guess, that, that touring resume. But, of course, you mentioned two songs. And the name of the podcast is There Can Only Be One. So it comes down to this point. So, Alex, if there's only one song off this album, which one's it going to be? Want to be where you are. Okay. So, what, so aside from being you know really good on the production side, what is it about that song that stands out for you? Um, vocally, it's one of the strongest songs on that album. And it's impressive for someone that age at that point. Uh, biologically right because around that time is when you're going to hit puberty your voice is going to change so there's a lot of room for um, possible disaster in the recording studio when your voice is changing right and that one there is it's crazy because in the multi-track session there is the early version which was like take one and they ended up going with take two for the public release which both of them were very very strong i'm i'm I'm, when i was listening to this album uh i'm I'm not i'm not gonna lie it was it was at times hard to deal with some of the higher higher pitch higher octave stuff um i i do completely agree that at that age to have that strong a voice um is is pure talent the octave kind of got to me a little bit it got better as the albums went on as as it's bound to do but uh for me at at that point it was a little high and and i listened to a lot of progressive metal so it was a little high um but we now move on to the same year but august 4th 1972 the album is ben this album went silver in the in the uk it peaked at number five though in the u.s there was one single off of this album, that being the title track, Ben, which, of course, was um, the title track to the movie of the same name. The song itself won the Golden Globe for Best Original Song from a Film and was nominated for an Oscar that year, but lost to the morning after from the movie The Poseidon Adventure. Uh, the song did hit number one in the U.S. and Australia. Um, I personally went with, and I, I hope I get this right, 
Shooby Dooby Doo Dot A off of this album. But what did you go with? <laughs> I ended up going with Ben. Uh, it's a little bit of a cop out. Um, just real quick, I want to circle back to what you had mentioned about uh, the pitch uh, being a little bit on the irritating side. I totally agree, which is why, as just from my own preference, I don't listen to a lot of the Jackson 5 and early Michael just because, yeah, I get it. It it kind of hurts the ears after a while. <laughs> I, I'm, I mean, I, I get it, you know, like. Anyone who's listened to, you know, I, you know, been watching TV, then all of a sudden, like a, you know, a mini bops commercial comes on, you're gonna hear it. You're gonna, or, I mean, and trust me, there is nothing worse than you know one eight seven seven cars for kids, but I, 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 it is. It's sometimes hard to hear that higher register unless you're mentally prepared for it, and you can hear it starting to come down though in this album. Next up, we've got Music and Me, released April 13th, 1973. The album peaked at number 92 in the U.S. There were four singles off of this album. With a Child's Heart was the highest charting one at number 50. Personally, I went with Euphoria off this one. The song, not the Zendaya show. Uh, What did you go with? I also went with Euphoria because it is, it was crazy to hear, um, I don't want to say that content, but like that style and just that, just lyrically young Michael Jackson singing that. Now, I mean, he is singing in, in a lot of cases, he's singing standards and songs that are written and definitely not by him. Um, okay, let, let's put this out on Front Street right now. We are not going to be dealing with any of the controversy surrounding Michael Jackson and any of his alleged actions or any of his uh, alleged drug problems, we are here to talk about the music full stop. That's it. You know, if you, if you came to hear us bash Michael Jackson uh, for things he allegedly did or did not do, this is not that podcast. We are here to celebrate the music. But that being said, you have a young artist and he's singing songs that are of a, for lack of a better term, more risque lyrical content. Um, does it does does it hit weird? Absolutely. Um, I but I don't to go a little way from Michael Jackson here. I think that happens a lot in uh, the music industry because you know, in a lot of cases, sex sells, uh, and so does like. Um, guess the message that you're trying to put out there regardless of you being a child or not so it's in a way it's corporate's way to push something out there to make money Ugh, corporate <laughs> those bastards corporate may as well be a four-letter word i'm gonna lie <laughs> <laughs> let's let's move on to Forever Michael, released January 16th, 1975. The album peaked at number 101 on the Billboard charts. There were two singles off of this one, uh, the highest charting being Just a Little Bit of You, which charted at number 23. Personally, on my list, I ended up going with Cinderella Stay a While. Um, but what did you go with off of uh, Forever Michael? I picked uh, One Day in Your Life because... I guess just the message behind it is it's very touching the music behind it as well. Like you listen to that and you just can't help, but sort of replay happy memories that you would have had with 
a specific person, whether they're someone that you were romantic with or someone that you just loved very much unromantically. It's just, it's magic. <laughs> it's, it really is. I, I will say too, you know, there are a lot of songs in his, in his discography that, that really did kind of tug at the heartstrings, whether he wrote them or not. Uh, and he definitely did have a way of portraying those lyrics well, especially in, you know, albeit in a higher register, but, you know, especially in some of those earlier albums. But it's about to get big because next up is Off the Wall. Released August 10th, 1979, this is the first Michael Jackson album that's actually produced by Mr. Quincy Jones. The album hit number one in Australia, number two in New Zealand, and number three in the U.S. and the U.K. It is, all right, time to get the math here. Nine times platinum in U.S., six times platinum in New Zealand and the U.K., five times platinum in Australia. It's platinum in Canada, France, and Germany, and the Netherlands. There were five singles off of this one. Both Don't Stop Till You Get Enough and Rock With You hit number one on the U.S. charts. This album is actually inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. That happened in the year 2008. Now, we had a Twitter shout-out for this album here. Ray Shavo went with Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. I did not go with that song, but I want to hear what you went with. Uh, For Off the Wall, I went with the album title track off the wall okay honestly it's i have i have a a soft spot for that album it ended up being the very first michael jackson album i ever got and turns out it used to belong to my mom and my grandpa was the one that was hoarding it in the closet and one day i think i was in the second grade so i couldn't have been you know older than 12 11 you know and he goes i go what are these in the closet beside like the tools and stuff and he goes those are records and that was also my first introduction into the vinyl world and he goes you can have this whole stack and off the wall was the first album that was in that stack oh nice nice so yeah it was it was pretty special i'm so glad it was vinyl in the closet and not something like just you know for a different podcast because otherwise this would be a very different story uh i personally oh god we went there didn't we i personally went with get on the floor and maybe it's because you know i'm in a band and we play out on shows and every now and then like in between sets you know obviously the radio will come on and you know songs like don't stop till you get enough uh and rock with you they get played a lot so get on the floor while it's still a really really good song and i'm not knocking the you know the singles there uh, it, it just it wasn't as overplayed for me. And, and maybe that's where I'm coming at this from. I've heard most of the, you know, at this point now, we're in that three album stretch where it starts to get really, really good. You know, a lot of those songs, those bigger songs, I've heard over and over and over again. So maybe they just hit differently. But when I was going through this album, Get on the Floor really stuck out. Especially that your, your main instrument is bass and the song is built around a bass track done by lewis johnson which honestly is probably one of the biggest names that quincy provided for this album oh the Um, the musicality on it like in comparison to the previous four albums you can see what a what a producer of a quincy jones caliber can bring to an album Mm -hmm. big big names the very creative people 
you're talking about Bag. The next album was it's this little album. Yeah. yeah, it sold a couple, you know. That album is Thriller, released November 30th, 1982. This album peaked at number one pretty much across the universe. It is. All right. Here, I'm, I'm going to need to catch my breath on this one here, so bear with me. This album is triple diamond in the U.S. That means 34 times platinum it is 17 times platinum in australia it's triple diamond in canada 15 times platinum in the uk 12 times platinum in new zealand it's diamond in france it's triple platinum in germany it is six times platinum in switzerland there were seven singles off of this album beat it and billy jean both hit number one in the u.s now interestingly enough okay the title track Thriller, greatest dance along song ever. Only peaked at number four in the US, but it did hit number one in France and Spain. By the way, Wanna Be Starting Something also hit number one here in Canada. Now, we, we've been skipping over the awards because Michael Jackson's, you know, he's won a few. In fact, at the 1984 Grammys, he set the Guinness Book of World Records on this album for most Grammy wins in one night. It was eight. Eight Grammys. Coincidentally, one of them was not for this album. One of them was for his audio reading of E.T., the extraterrestrial. Yeah. Not this one. Now, uh, to say that this album sold a lot is kind of selling it short. This is the best-selling album worldwide of all time. There is none greater than this across the world. But in the U.S., it's only the second highest-selling album of all time. Now, it's the best-selling original non-compilation album of all time, but the second highest selling album, the highest selling album, beating it out by 4 million units is the Eagles greatest hits. That is 38 times platinum, according to Wikipedia, where this album is only 34 times platinum. So Michael be slacking, apparently. I personally went with Thriller off of this one, although this one was really, really hard. By the way, another shout-out from Ray Chavo. He went with Pretty Young Thing off this one, but what did you go with? Um, Again, I, I was teeter-tottering between Thriller and PYT, and I think I'm going to go with PYT as my main choice. That, that was on my short list as well. Like... As much as I say that I'm not the biggest Michael Jackson fan, I I think you have to be legally deaf, completely deaf, to not find something off this album. Like this this album literally defined an entire decade. You know, take put the Eagles aside. This is the highest selling album of all time worldwide. No, no matter what you think about Michael Jackson. No matter what genre of music that you listen to. And you know me, Alex. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a metalhead. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you cannot, no matter how hard you try, discount just how important this album is in the history of music, 
period. So I'm going to ask you, rather than why'd you pick this song kind of thing, how hard was it to narrow it down to just one song off this one? Let me put it like this. There are nine songs on the album and seven of them are main singles. So it's very difficult to go through practically an unskippable album that's done astronomically well. Um, but at the end of the day, I went with what what song would someone not necessarily choose? Because, you know, you look at just, just the side A, for example, or yeah, side A, which is from want to be starting something, the thriller, every song on side A and 90% of side B is the biggest names out there. Beat it, Billie Jean, Human Nature. So everybody's going to go towards what got played more on the radio and on like in weddings and stuff like that, bigger impact songs. PYT, even though it's an amazing song, had its own single, is not one that you hear often on the radio. So it, it was a bit of a no-brainer, but again, there's a lot of struggle there because this album is just so epic. Oh, it's, <laughs> there is... I would be hard-pressed, especially in today's market of the non-existence of physical media. You will never, ever make an album that would ever come close today to reaching those sales levels. And you have to think that a lot of those albums uh, are, have probably been purchased twice, thrice, and probably four ice. I don't even know if that's a word, but it is. I, I think this is the one album that kind of makes the case for it. I don't I don't even know if there's an artist out there that could make an album today that would sell that much. Maybe Taylor Swift, but that's about it. I, I want to hop on what you just said about physical media. And I think that because of lack of wanting physical media, especially with today's generation, that makes me sound really old. Um, yeah, there will never be another artist out there that can or will top what Thriller sold physically. And what's crazy is that the main number of sales for Thriller is just on the album itself. That's not on the two... That's not on the 25th anniversary or the 40th anniversary pressing. This is just out of regular old thriller. So, you know, the number is probably a hundred times bigger if you were to consider the 25th anniversary and the 40th anniversary. And on top of that, what really drove thriller sales was the thriller video and that they came out with the making of, which ended up skyrocketing sales for years so yeah and just to put things into perspective here so while while you were saying all that i decided to take a look and went to chartmasters.org and did a search for spotify's most streamed albums and you know i'm just looking at like the top 50 here and michael jackson is nowhere to be found but you know you you have to (laughs) think that that you know there's enough of those albums out there. I'm sure everyone, I, I, it probably came with the house that you bought. It's like, here's the, here's the stove. Here's the refrigerator. Here's your complimentary copy of thrill of, of thriller. I get it. You know, the, the most streamed album on here is actually, uh, Ed Sheeran's, uh, I guess divide deluxe, whatever it is. Um, with 13 
billion streams. You know, but you, you take a look at like some of the arts on here, like Bad Bunny, Dua Lipa, Post Malone. Post Malone has two of them on there. Like, but I don't know of any of these artists as good as they are and as 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 rabid as their fan bases may be. No one's rushing out to the record stores to scoop up every album. Like, there were days, and I I, I remember there were albums that came out when I. Uh, yeah, I skipped class one time to actually go line up at you know at the HMV to go buy a copy of Use Your Illusions one and two when they came out on day of. You're never going to get that anymore, I don't think. Not with CDs. No. So well, with BTS, and that's just me singling them out a little bit. They have such a big fan base, but also the amount of uh, work they put into their product makes it uh, makes the people want to go for those like Midnight Madness release or Day of releases because, you know, they they package stuff with posters and cards and collectibles and blah, blah, blah and big books. You don't really see that with a lot of artists unless it's an anniversary box set. Mm-hmm. But with, with the, um, and that's where I think uh, streaming is hurting uh, the music industry a lot. It's convenient. It's crazy convenient. But the amount of money that an artist would make with physical sales versus digital sales like that, it's the the pay cuts just massive. Yeah. I mean, I you'll never see it, right? But I wonder if an artist maybe like an Ed Sheeran or maybe like a Taylor Swift, if they ever put out an album and did not release it digitally, physical media only, even then, I don't think anyone would sell close to Thriller. No. Which, you know, if Taylor Swift wants to take a shot at it, go right ahead. I'm I'm willing to eat my words, but, you know, I, I, I just, I don't see it the idea of people going to the record store and you know maybe maybe it's just the, the nostalgia of the record store you know, you go to the cd rack and there's the cd you know like there was something soothing about that that sound of the cd's and then when you get to the end all the way to the back and then you get to the next rack that that's an experience that it's unfortunate that some people aren't getting these days. But before I, I get on my old man soapbox here and, and diatribe more, we have one more album from the eighties and it was, uh, it was no slouch either here. Cause that was bad released August 31st, 1987. The album peaked number one, pretty much in th- through the entire cosmos everywhere. It is 11 times platinum in the U.S., 14 times platinum in the U.K., 9 times platinum in New Zealand, 7 times platinum in Canada, 6 times platinum in Australia, 5 times platinum in Switzerland, it's diamond in France, quadruple platinum in Germany, and platinum in the Netherlands. You mentioned 7 singles off a Thriller. There are 9 singles off of this one and the first five all hit number one in the u.s that included i just can't stop loving you bad the way you make me feel man in the mirror and dirty diana now here's a funny one smooth criminal which was released as a single only hit number seven in the u.s but then alien ant farm covered it and that covers fun yeah 
and it hit number one on the modern rock charts. Now, admittedly, not the same chart, but I find it funny that that song hit number one on an American chart, although it's not the Billboard 200. There's an asterisk on it, but I will say, I, I do think the Alien Ant Farm, and this may be blasphemy here, but the Alien Ant Farm version is better than the Michael Jackson version. Agreed. A hundred times agreed. Alien Ant Farm was the first version of Smooth Criminal I heard before even discovering how, like, the depthness of Michael Jackson's catalog at the time. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, aside from being a good cover and a decent song to start with, this is the template. Like, if you're a rock band and you want to do a cover song, you want to make it your own, this should literally be, like, you know, taught in rock schools. Like, you want to make a cover your own, this is how you do it. You do something like this. Now, Ray Shava went with Smooth Criminal and good friend of the show, Sean Faust, uh, he wrote Dirty Diana about three times. So I don't know if that was on purpose or he just really, 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 really liked the song. I also went with Dirty Diana, but what did you go with off of bad? I went with Liberian Girl. Really? And deep yes, cut. Very deep cut. Um, Liberian Girl it vocally is a little bit more tame because if you really listen to bad, it's, it's coming off more um, rock style in his voice, a lot more loud, a lot more in your face. Uh, Liberian girl is like the only R and B song other than I just can't stop loving you in, in that style. But what really got me, on that song was the entire ending of the track, which is all the harmonies and then his lead, just adding those ad libs. It was, it was honestly crazy. <laughs> I think the thing for me, when, when it comes to dirty Diana is this was the King of pop. And here he was, you know, doing his best to plant his flag in the world of rock at the same time. And of all people, you bring in Steve Stevens like Billy Idol's guitarist, Steve Stevens, one of the monster guitars of the 80s, Steve Stevens, and you let him wail? Well done, good sir. Well done. You know, it's uh, it, it, Dirty Diana. I, like, here's the thing. This, too, is very hard for me to pick a song. Um, just to kind of correct you a little bit, there are 11 songs on the album and 10 of the 11 are actually proper singles because Just Good Friends, I don't think, got a single. But everything else eventually did get their single. It didn't happen all at once. But, you know, you, you hear a song like Bad and The Way You Make Me Feel right away. Those are two really, really big, big, big songs. Um, an, uh, another part of me, Man in the Mirror, also really, really big. Dirty Diana, Smooth Criminal, like those are also massive and then it's like, where do you go from there? You have to pick one. This is, if I had any hair, I'd, I'd pull it out. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and th think about 1987 too for Steve Stevens, right? Like this album comes out and it's massive, right? And Dirty Dan is, is such a good song. But in that year, he also won the Grammy for best pop instrumental performance for the anthem from Top Gun. Like, like, you, you want to talk about a year for a guitarist? Steve Stevens slayed that one. 
So now before we get into the 90s and Michael Jackson's later career, I want to take a second here, you know, and give you the floor here and let us know uh, about your remixing, your YouTube channel, and about what you're doing over on Twitch. Okay. Um, I feel like Twitch would be the short, shorter start here. On Twitch, I just recently uh, got my hands on some software in order to stream uh, off my computer because I used to stream just on the PlayStation and now that I can stream on the computer, it's um, a lot more fun for me because I feel like a lot of my better games are on the computer. It's small. I have a couple followers, but uh, it's really fun just to mess around, be a goofball on uh, on Twitch. Um, as for my YouTube channel, uh, a lot of the times I do uh, a session remix. And depending on the song, you'll get... Uh, a lot of unused uh, sections, whether it be an extra verse or unused instruments. Maybe the song, if it faded out on the album version, it'll continue on on tape. And one of the biggest artists that I focus on on my channel is Michael Jackson, <laughs> which is also one of the big reasons why I wanted to choose uh, him for this episode. Um, just because not only are you hearing him grow as a songwriter or vocalist, but especially later on as we're getting into the nineties here, he is more and more involved in the production of the instrumental of the song. So there's going to be quite a few notes uh, for those later albums. So when you're, you know, when, when you're approaching a Michael Jackson song, um, is it easier for you to approach it, you know, a song that you're a fan of or is it easier to approach one of the songs that you're maybe not necessarily spinning on a regular basis so you you have the ability to disconnect from it a touch um there's a lot of ways that i go about remixing songs in general but for michael jackson specifically i will mainly play the vocal track and see what comes from there but i'll also listen to the entire tape first and then see what exactly am I working with uh, session versus album release because there's a lot of differences uh, in the mix that gets put out and Bruce who is um, his main um, I guess mixer or um, what is uh, engineer his main engineer would put out you know between 10 to 30 different mixes of the songs and only pick like to have to pick one is it's also troubling because that's what we're doing here and um yeah no you just it's really difficult <laughs> wow i feel like i'm rambling here because it's <laughs> it's just so it's so hard to explain because every song has a different uh it clicks differently like if i were to put in thriller versus a song from the 90s like black or white I'm going to be doing a whole different analysis or a whole different type of idea will will sort of like emerge because not not every song is easy to remix at like if you hear something it really has to speak to you <laughs> I don't know what else more to say it's just uh <laughs> yeah, I I did I didn't warn you that there was going to be thinking on the test today did I <laughs> <laughs> I got smoke coming out of my ears. <laughs> oh crap! We broke them. We broke them. <laughs> Get the fire extinguisher. 
or if, if the smoke's coming out of your ears, then you're smoking it wrong. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the next album. That would be Dangerous. Released, yeah, much like smoke coming out of your ears. Released November 26, 1991. This album hit number one everywhere except for Canada, where it yep. only peaked at number three. There were another nine singles off of this one. Black or White was the only one that had hit number one in the U.S. And I'm not going to lie. I remember the video release for Black or White. The 11-minute long music video release. And I remember watching it. Like, this was an event. Like, anyone who grew up in that time will tell you, this was an event. You know, the fact that, you know, you know, according to Wikipedia, there were like 500 million viewers around the world who sat and, you know, sat and tuned in for a music video premiere. 11 minutes long. And I remember, and it wasn't just my reaction, but if, if I remember correctly, I think the reaction of the VJs on Much Music was a lot of like, the f*** was that? Because yeah. you had four minutes of, of, freaking rate michael jackson rage quitting the end of the video here by smashing everything like this the song aside you know and the song's kind of catchy but then it goes four minutes like he's playing grand theft auto in real life like what <laughs> this, this this was like the beginning of the of of excess for him but it still didn't hurt the album because it went eight times platinum in the U.S., ten times platinum in Australia, six times platinum in, in Canada, diamond in France, quadruple platinum in Germany, triple platinum in the Netherlands, six times platinum in New Zealand, five times platinum in Switzerland, and six times platinum in the U.K. Now, Ray Chavo, he went with Remember the Time. Uh, what did you go with? Uh, for Dangerous, I picked uh, Keep the Faith. <laughs> Wait, with Bon Jovi? <laughs> <laughs> so but, why, uh, no. why, why keep the faith? Um, the short answer is church. You listen to that song, you got these big choir vocals, you have minimal instrumentation. It's voice driven, it's vocally driven, uh, it's powerful, it's loud. Um, it's something that I secretly enjoy. Like uh, most people, and I'm going to say this publicly, most people don't know this, but I really enjoy that orchestra type, big vocal, sort of like choir-esque songs because it, when you hear a, a choir, it's almost like listening to an orchestra. They all have their different pitches and tones making an unbelievable sound and it just gives me goosebumps when I hear stuff like that. Oh, especially I'm sure if you, if you break down the stems of a song and you, you, you hear those, those tracks all by themselves. Like I can just imagine, I would love to hear the choir remix only version uh, of Madonna's like a prayer. I'm sure that actually sounds amazing. I actually have that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be, I will, I'll, I'll be right over. I'll, be, <laughs> I'll mix it down and I'll send it to you. It's pretty good. Uh, that would that would be awesome. That would be awesome. But yeah, you're right. A choir does add everything. Now, for me, 
I mentioned on the bad album, you know, getting Steve Stevens on there and playing guitar on Dirty Diana. And then I'm watching much music because that's around the time when much music was still playing music. And there's Michael Jackson. Besides Slash from Guns yes, N' sir. Roses. And the song is given to me. And there, there, there's, there's everything stops at that point. There's Slash, <laughs> right? The baddest guitarist out there at the time with the king of pop. Like, and the song's good too. Like, I, I personally, I feel like it, it maybe could have added, had a bit more meat to the mix. And I'm sure a remix of that song could add a lot more, maybe crunch might be what I'm thinking of. But the song and Slash, like that, that song right there sold it for me on that album. And that's the thing too. And you, you mentioned that going back to the, the, the off the wall album and, and the thriller album, you know, what the, the musicianship that Quincy Jones helped bring to the production of, you know, of those albums. So now you're seeing guitarists like, you know, uh, you know, Steve Stevens and, and Slash coming in, you know, you're seeing a lot of these musicians come in and want to be on these albums and it just makes it a more of an event. Yeah. Well, what's crazy about, dangerous is that it wasn't even produced by Quincy Jones. It was solely produced uh, by Michael Jackson with the help of uh, big time producer, Teddy Riley and his mixing engineer, Bruce Swedean. And you, you look at, so unfortunately recently there's been a a theft in um, overseas at one of these like little conventions there. And one of Michael's uh, longtime friends in the studio ended up doing um, like little seminars and he got robbed. And in the in the stuff that got stolen and leaked was footage from behind the scenes working in the studio. And you see how um, how involved Michael Jackson is in the creation of the songs. He's there at every session, every recording, whether it be instruments or a choir or just for himself, he's in there, he's writing notes. Michael Jackson, fun fact about him is that he cannot properly play any instruments, but he can sing every sound that he's thinking of so that his musicians, his studio musicians, um, can lay that down for him. And especially in the nineties where, you know, you got MIDI that's like coming out um, from the shadows pretty much. It really helped this album along because this album was supposed to be uh, a box set originally. And that's where history ended up coming out of because all those songs were supposed to be on dangerous as well. And they ended up with like 30 or 35 songs and Bruce and and uh, Epic Records was like there. There's no way that we're gonna release that big of an album, and the album's already running at over an hour long. And for the time where vinyl was still being sold, they're like, no, <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Cut it. And that's where that other album comes from. But no, it's it's really insane. Which is fascinating when you realize that you know the, the album comes out in '91, and that's the same year that use your illusion one and two came out as i recall so you know there there was a history of of bands that were able to do 
you know, multi-album or big double album kind of releases. Um, I think at that time, Dangerous could have maybe come out as a double album, but, you know, it makes sense to maybe to hold stuff back and release it a little bit later. That way you're not, you know, you're not stretching it too thin kind of thing. But I mean, Dangerous itself, you know, while it did, it wasn't the success that Thriller and Bad were, it was still a solid album. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Now, you mentioned some of those songs ended up on history because that's where we're going next. History, Past, Present, and Future, Book One, released June 20th, 1995. It was a two-disc set, the first one being just a, a greatest hits, the second one being all new material. Of course, it peaked at number one everywhere, as a Michael Jackson album around that time is supposed to do. It's eight times platinum in the U.S. and in Australia, five times platinum in Canada, diamond in France again, triple platinum in Germany, triple platinum in the Netherlands, ten times platinum in New Zealand, triple platinum in Switzerland, and four times platinum in the U.K. There were seven singles off of this one. You Are Not Alone was the only one to hit number one in the U.S. Ray Chavo went with They Don't Care About Us, me, personally, I ended up going with Tabloid Junkies. Uh, it it nice. was a good song. But what did you go with? I also went with uh, They Don't Care About Us. Um, I, I need to know from you, because Tabloid Junkie is, in a way, a deep cut on this album. Why did you choose it? Every now and then, like, and as I'm listening to this, I thought this was going to be an easy disc, to be honest. I thought it was going to be screaming, then I'd be done with it, right? But as I'm going through, and there's something really, really raw with a lot of the lyrics off this album. And yes, I completely understand it. I know we said we weren't going to get, go down this road. But this is when a lot of the allegations are coming in and people are yeah. kind of, you know, like there, there's a lot of crap that's going on that's not on the record um, or at least on the, on the CDs in Michael Jackson's you know life at this point, uh, if I remember correctly, this is around when Lisa Marie Presley and he were together. Um, yeah. Like there, there's a lot of crap going on in the tabloids, and there's a there's a lot of rawness in those lyrics. And when you go back and take a look at it, like I, I I'm again I'm not defending anybody or anything kind of thing, but you know you have to think that if this is the creative outlet. Right. If this if this is what he needs to say at the time, you know, he did it in a way that that actually made some of these songs, you know, that really good. And it, I, I liken it to and if I'm, if I'm looking for a tonality sense, uh, the Dixie Chicks, I'm not ready to make nice or we're not ready. Yeah, not ready to make nice. Um, 
that song is raw like just raw and them coming out of you know the hardest part of their career after the whole um george you know slagging george bush at a concert yeah 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 like and there, there, there's there's a vulnerability in it. And I think there's a vulnerability in a song like Tabloid Junkies as well. You know, like, right or wrong, you know, he had to be dealing with a lot of stuff at the time. Absolutely. And just to piggyback on that a little bit, songs like Tabloid Junkie and Money and DS, um, what else real quick, uh, Too Bad, uh, those songs originally were not going to be on the album because like I mentioned the other songs like Scream They Don't Care About Us and stuff like that all those were recorded and finished around the time of Dangerous and then the allegations happen they cancel um, what should have been the sequel to the direct sequel to Dangerous and waited I can't remember how many years about four years albums yeah, and then finally, he's like, let me go back in there. They worked on a lot of these songs, and they're like, okay, now the album's 100% finished, which honestly gives it uh, a, a great touch to um, to the album because it's um, it's more specific. All the other albums felt like they were great for their eras, right, with the sounds and just the overall lyrical messages and whatnot. But you listen to an album like Dangerous, and that one's really specific to that situation. You have Scream, that's essentially a song about just wanting to break out and just grab everybody and shake them and yell at them, like, what his message is. You have They Don't Care About Us, which was a song pretty much trying to fight against... uh, you know, the the system and racial profiling, just all the racism that's still going on to this day uh, worldwide. Um, you have songs like Earth Song, which is just trying to save the planet, especially around this time. You know, global warming was starting to really get in the headlines there and people weren't really taking it seriously. Um, still aren't. To, <laughs> no, they still aren't. Um, you Are Not Alone, funny enough, uh, wasn't even supposed to be on the album. It just happened that R. Kelly bumped into Michael Jackson and said, hey, I got a song that people say that I sound like you on. Can you take a listen? And he goes, okay, I'll record. Um, but Tabloid Junkie is a song I really wish I had this session to because I feel like in a way his message gets a little buried within the beatboxing and the the background noise and the instrument overall in the song. So I, th- I, th- I think a stripped back version to really get that message through would be uh, pretty epic. And some good guitar. Call up Steve Stevens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we now move on to Invincible, where we had to wait until October 30th, 2001 for the release. The album went double platinum in U.S. and the Australia and platinum in seven other countries. The album hit number one in seven countries, but again, not Canada, where it only hit number three. There were sing- three singles off of this one. You Rock My World hit number one in France and Spain, but in the U.S., it only hit number 10. So off of Invincible, what did you go with? I went with You Rock My World. It was a little bit of a no-brainer for me. 
Um, because me personally, and with a lot of people uh, reflected in the sales there, uh, felt like this album was on the weaker side. But th- later on, I found out why, which was at the time he had, you know, the Beatles catalog. He had just bought over 50% of Sony and all those publishing rights and whatnot. So uh, business-wise, he was killing it big time. And people within the those companies like Sony really didn't like that he had such big power over the music and the decisions of what they do and what they don't do. So with that, um, he ended up having a lot of people write the songs for him. And it goes kind of back to like his early stage in his career, which was lyrically he was involved, but musically was completely out of the shadows, like wasn't involved whatsoever. Um, you rock my world ended up being so big because I feel like it was more of a true Michael Jackson song and this, uh, in the way of how groovy it is, how catchy it was and stuff like that. And honestly, so this is the song that helped me really discover Michael Jackson, because to kind of go back to your memory of seeing, you know, uh, given to me and black and white and stuff like that. Um, you Rock My World was premiering on Much Music and I had just gotten home from school and because it was such a big thing, you know, Michael Jackson's big comeback, new single, new short film with Chris Tucker and um, who played The Godfather again? Oh, um, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando was in the video as well and... You know, it was a big, big thing. They made Michael Jackson Day on Much Music and VH1 and MTV. And they played all the music videos. They played all the movies. And then they finished with the premiere of You Rock Rock My World. And then from then on, I was just hooked. So I'm going to jump on two points here that that, that you've you've said. Uh, And the first one here, and I'm just going to soapbox this a little one or a little bit, is that Yes, stations like MTV and Much Music had the ability to shape the zeitgeist. They had the ability to, you know, introduce so much music to the masses to the point of you wanted to go out and get the album. You wanted to go out to the shows. Music was an event. Music music still is an event. And, and I'm not going to lie, like, the last three years you know from going into the pandemic where like music and concerts are completely shut down to now and we're just starting to get back up and running now is the time for a channel like an mtv or much music to pick up the mantle and get back to what made it the cultural icon that it was at the time get back to showing music videos and there are still bands and artists out there doing damn good music videos. Like the number of films that I have covered on It's Not That Bad that came from music video directors, you know, there's some phenomenal visuals and some really cool, you know, cinematic art styles that come out of that. And it should be celebrated. 
and and don't and don't sit there and say well you, you know you just go watch it on youtube so what make it an event make make it something where you can't just on demand it and that was the thing you know you had to wait to hear your song and you ended up hearing a bunch of other really really cool songs along the way and that's how you discovered more music so if much music or MTV or any kind of channel wants to get back to what it made it, what it was, and dance who you dance who you, you came with, do that, do that, and I'll go back and watch even even bands that I, in hindsight I sit there and go, yeah, they were okay, but I like that album. I never would have discovered that album had I not actually been watching a channel like Much Music, like. There are there are CDs and cassettes, yes, cassettes in my collection, where <laughs> they were bought solely on the fact that I got into them because of watching them on much music. And I agree. If you want record sales to maybe start to creep back up to thriller levels, or even, or even any of these lower selling albums, get a music video station back on the air. But that being said, the second thing I want to pick up in is that I am so glad that you said this was a weak album because I'm not going <laughs> to lie. This was where the struggle was real. And yes, yeah. I did end up going with You Rock My World because it did feel like the most Michael Jackson of a song on this album. Like, this this feels like, you know, I've always thought every artist is allowed at least one or two bad albums in a long career. The longer the career, the more bad albums you're allowed to have. Obviously, the the law of averages. This felt like that album. You know? Yeah. And I, and I'm not picking on like the first albums because you, you can't you, you can't fight your own register at that age, right? You're going to sing the way you're going to sing. This album, you're right. It felt like he was putting out an album for putting out an album's sake. Yeah, and unfortunately, it was also the last album of new material that he put out before he passed away. But that leads us to the December tenth, twenty ten release of Michael, the first posthumous release with new songs, double platinum in France, platinum in the U.S., Canada, and U.K. It hit number one in Germany and the Netherlands, and only number three in the U.S. There were four singles off of this one. Hold My Hand with Akon hit number 39 on the Billboard charts. That's the song I ended up going with, but what did you go with? I ended up with um, I ended up with uh, Best of Joy because I also had picked Hold My Hand, but after um, after sort of like discovering the backstory behind the song best of joy i kind of leaned towards that one more really okay okay so what's the backstory on that so best of joy was originally made during the thriller era and it was supposed to be just called the toy which was uh, a song for a richard Pryor movie by the same name um was fully recorded finished was pitched to I can't remember who the studio was that was making the movie. They went, yeah, it's all right. We're not gonna take it. Um, so I got shelved. And then what Michael does with a lot of these songs, even on like Bad and Dangerous and Thriller and all that, is that a lot of these songs come from way, way earlier 
and then eventually morph into what they are. So Best of Joy, by the time that it hit the Michael album, had been re-recorded, rewritten, and the music was completely changed as well um, because it was supposed to get released during the This Is It tour because when This Is It was announced in 2009, um, there was supposed to be an album to follow that tour, basically going like, hey, these are the songs that I chose to rewrite, rework for this last, last album that was supposed to come out after Invincible. Um, Unfortunately, um, after he passed, it caused a huge ripple into everything because you have songs that lyrically were finished but not musically or they were musically finished but not lyrically so there was a lot of um big decisions that need to be made by people who weren't michael jackson and unfortunately this album has had a lot of controversy because it featured i think it was three or four songs that weren't even sung by Michael Jackson on the album. And they were released as Michael Jackson songs. Um, this album came out, what, in 2009, 2010? 2010. 2010. And it did not get a proper re-release until 2022 because Sony had, or the Michael Jackson estate had won its lawsuit against the Sony company being like, hey, you're making money with his name and they're not even his songs. So it got re-released with those songs taken off. Wow. It's pretty crazy. I I just find it funny that I remember actually seeing the toy when it came out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, It was supposed to be the intro song for the intro credits. That that was an interesting movie. I, I I still remember seeing that. Richard Pryor, Jackie Gleason, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, we finally come to the last Michael Jackson album of which original material, the second posthumous release that was Escape, released May 9th, twenty fourteen. The album hit number one in three countries. Those were France, Spain, and the UK. It's platinum in France and gold in several other countries. There were two singles off of this one, the highest peaking being Love Never Felt So Good, which peaked at number nine. I ended up going with t- with the title track, ex- uh, Escape. What did you go with? I also went with Escape. <laughs> um, this album was a very big no-brainer for me, uh, mainly because 90% of it had leaked uh, years before this album was even being worked on and so we got to hear a lot of the earlier versions of uh, basically discs two because you have the main release of escape which was uh, a remix album originally um and then the deluxe version had a second disc which came with all the original tape demos and um so yeah so 90 percent of this album had already leaked in a different form um, prior to what we actually hear. Like, they're completely different than what we hear. And Escape, uh, the original leak versus the original version that was used on the album, have slight differences, but the main feel is there. And that song has always been heavily played on my old little MP3. 
I, I do find it funny too because like obviously around that time there was a whole big thing about you know bands having their music leaked out onto like Napster and LimeWire and the like before they could actually get their proper release and now you've got some bands who are releasing only singles uh and then basically culminating them together or maybe eventually into some semblance of an album which is basically at that point just a playlist of the singles that they've released and it kind of feels like that's the natural outcome of the whole getting leaked um before release you know uh travesty for musicians yeah well i noticed that for a couple of years that's what it that's what the feel was you know a lot of singles and when the quote-unquote album would come out it was just essentially a compilation of those singles and i i want to say maroon 5 did that i think i might be wrong but i know i remember there's a popular pop artist um that had done that um it's just that's that's just where we are now in a world where music is digitally recorded instead of analog and on tape because on back then unless you had a 12 inch tape player or a reel-to-reel player or some sort of like that tape player or a zip disc or whatever format you were using as a producer you know you couldn't get those songs off in order to leak and now with you know the fact that everybody anywhere at any time can get a recording um, software like Ableton or Pro Tools or FL Studios, Cubase, you know, anybody who has that can get access to anything. And then that once they're digitized and the, the masters put into where the recording studio is, all it takes is for one jerk to walk in there and plug in their USB. And there you go. You have your entire album out. Snuck it out. Black widow styles. (laughs) Walk in, plug the USB stick in and walk out like you own the place. Okay. So now we have to do the rundown here and pick our one song above all. So I'll go first here off of 1972 has got to be there. I went with in our small ways. From the album Ben, I went with Shooby Dooby Doo Da Day. 1973's <laughs> Music and Me, I went with Euphoria. From Forever Michael, I went with Cinderella Stay a While. From 1979's Off the Wall, I went with Get on the Floor. From 1982's tiny little album called Thriller, I went with the title track Thriller. From 1987's Bad, I went with Dirty Diana. From 1991's Dangerous, I went with Give In to Me. Off of History Disc 2, I went with Tabloid Junkies. From 2001's Invincible, I went with You Rock My World. From the first posthumous release, Michael, released in 2010, I went with Hold My Hand. And off of Escape, I went with Escape. But if I had to pick one, and I've been flip-flopping on this a little bit here, and I think I have to go... This is where where it gets tough, right? Because you, you get through some of these albums, like, okay, that was a tough album. You know, and then you get through the whole thing. It's like, holy crap. But I think I, I I have to go with Dirty Diana. Nice. This is the song to me that, you know, it was the ultimate pinnacle of Michael Jackson proving that he could conquer, you know, pop and rock at the same time and have people sit there and go, okay, okay, I like, I like my rock, but that that's that that's good. That's good. Like, this is the pinnacle of crossover hits to me. And 
it is. It's such a good song. And Steve Stevens just wails. Steve Stevens on this song is better than Slash on Given to Me. Absolutely. And that <laughs> and you know, knowing as much as I love what Slash has done in, in all his outfits, this that that's a big statement. But Steve Stevens killed it on that song. So for me, uh, if there can only be one Michael Jackson song, it has to be Dirty Diana. But for you, let's hear the rundown and then what is your one song above all? All right. So from the Got to Be There album, I picked I Want to Be Where You Are. From Ben, I've picked Ben. From Music and Me, I picked Euphoria. From Forever Michael, I picked One Day in Your Life. From Off the Wall, I picked Off the Wall. From Thriller, I picked PYT. From Bad, I picked Liberian Girl. From Dangerous, I picked Keep the Faith. From History, I picked They Don't Care About Us. From Invincible, I picked You Rock My World. From Michael, I picked Best of Joy. And from Escape, I picked Escape. And if I had to pick just one song out of that specific list to represent um, Michael Jackson, I would pick They Don't Care About Us. Okay. Why that song? Well, like I mentioned earlier when we were talking about the song, um, it, it hits... Um, it hits a situation that worldwide we are still facing today. Funny enough, so this song has officially three music videos. One of them got banned, and it was Michael Jackson in a prison with inmates while there's um, TVs in the background playing big events of the, of during that, up until that time. So you had like the Martin Luther King speech, you had Malcolm X, you had like just everything that was going on in the world at that time that was based off of just people not being kind to another and all the racism that uh, people face every single day. Um, They had the second version, which had essentially nothing to do with the song, which was shot in Brazil, but it was an extended video um, basically just showing off the talent in that town or that village that they were shooting in. And the third version was um, Spike Spike Lee, I believe it was, that redid the third video, which was a mix of the two, but also adding um, snippets and clips from the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, so, you know, I'm a big believer of, you know, people should just be able to love one another. At the end of the day, we're all human, right? So because we're all human, we are not all different. And I think that they don't care about us really speaks uh, to like that specific situation. Alex, that's awesome. All right. So before we go. Tell us one more time, where can our listeners find you on YouTube, on Twitch, and on Twitter? All right. So on YouTube, my YouTube channel is AC Official Music Page. Very long title, but very specific. On Twitch, it is Game with AC. That is me. And on Twitter, I believe is also AC Official Music Page or AC Official. Um... Yeah, now there you 
get to be thoroughly entertained. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, thank you so much. And as always, you have a standing open invitation whenever you want to come back on this show or over on It's Not That Bad. You know you're always welcome back. I appreciate it. All right. Now, to you, our listeners, you guys know the drill. If there is an artist that you want us to cover, hit us up on Twitter at OnlyOneCast or go over to our website at NotThatBadCast.com where you can find all our episodes of this show and of It's Not That Bad. Drop us a line over there. Let us know who the artist is and we will go through the entire studio discography. Alex, again, thank you so much. I'm Jason. This is There Can Only Be One. Until next time, everyone. Take care. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at IntoHistory.com.